On today's episode of DevTalk, I speak to Microsoft's Clemens Fastas about the different cloud messaging services on Azure. Welcome to episode 13 of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and my guest today is Clemens Fastas. Hello, Clemens. Hello. Hi. You are, as I am, German, and you are working at Microsoft. That is correct. My, my job is in America, but uh, I, uh, I, I fill it in Germany. Right. And your English is uh, very good for a German because you used to work in Redmond. Is that right? Yes. I've lived, I've lived in America twice. Uh, in uh, my younger years uh, in New York when I was kind of 25 for two years. And uh, okay. uh, then more recently in Redmond uh, or near Redmond uh, from 2006 until 2012. Okay, so now you're working remotely in Germany. I am, yes. I live uh, um, at the far west of Germany, very close to the Dutch border. It's like 30 minutes with a bike to get uh, to and across the border. Mm -hmm. And you you and I share a passion of uh, civil aviation. And uh, I'm, I'm always following when you head off to Redmond and uh, uh, taking pictures of airplanes again. Yeah, and uh, so my my passion is for aviation photography, um, mostly military um, on on my on my end, um, mm -hmm. and I have a fairly I'm I'm currently in my office and uh, I have a very large uh, aviation archive, uh, paper archive, magazines that date back mm -hmm. like up to eighty years and uh, um, lots of books, the library, some models. So yeah, I'm an aviation geek. And you find the time to read all of those? Um, I know a scary amount of uh, details about uh, the aviation industry in the 60s and the 50s. Okay, well, um, I'm, I'm thinking about there's going to be, a, like, you know, the Berlin Airlift has the 70th anniversary of the end of the, the airlift. Yeah. Uh, for, for those who don't know, uh, this was when Berlin was separated from the rest of West Germany after the Second World War. And the Allies set up uh, an airlift, uh, an incredible frequency of airplanes flying to and from Berlin. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they supplied the whole city with everything they needed for, for a couple of years, actually. And the end was 70 years ago, and there's going to be a big celebration this weekend close to where I live uh, in, in Wiesbaden. Mm -hmm. And um, they're going to be flying in all those old airplanes, DC-3s, DC-4s. And uh, it's, I, I'm thinking about going there, but it's uh, difficult with the itinerary they have. So, yeah, that sounds fun. Um, I'll be uh, um, uh, at the Paris Air Show week after next. So uh, it, while I'll be missing this, I'll be seeing all the new things. Um, um, and I'll be there for Microsoft where we're having a, a chalet, as it's called. Uh, which means we're going to have a very large booth at uh, the Paris Air Show. So any, anybody heading there can can contact you there. Absolutely, yes. Uh, we have Chalet, I think A101 or something like this. We, we can be found on the map. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk to you about when, when I think of um, Azure and messaging, that your name is the first one that comes up. And um, I would like to um, find out wh why should I be using messaging at all? What, what's the reason for all of those offerings? Yeah, so 
We do a lot of things around messaging. We have a lot of services. Um, so in the team that I work in, we own Azure Service Bus, um, Azure Event Grid, Azure Event Hubs. We have a service called the Relay. And then we're also engaged in standardization around those things. So for eventing, we are currently in the Cloud Native Foundation with uh, cloud events. That's something that's an effort that has been going on for about one and a half years, trying to figure out a common format for eventing. Um, where we just finalized, literally yesterday, finalized the version 0.3, which we all mostly think about as a 0.9. Okay. And uh, so we're hoping that we can get to 1.0 soon. Um, we're very active in MQP. Um, MQP was finalized um, in standardization that was finalized in 2012. And uh, in the last one and a half years, we've been writing a whopping 11 specifications. We can probably talk about those later um, as companion specifications. And we're hoping that we can go and wrap those up within the next three, four months um, as final standards. Um, I just joined um, the OASIS uh, MQTT technical committee as Microsoft's representative. Um, mm -hmm. We don't expect that there's going to be a lot of... So MQTT just finalized um, version 5, and uh, we're fairly happy with that. But there's new... Um, there's going to hope that, for instance, MQTT SN, which is for sensor networks, non-IP networks um, that that can gets finalized it's currently an IBM specification that should become an Oasis specification so this committee will work on this so there's a bunch of standardization efforts that we're involved in to further interoperability and then we fill those with life effectively with the products that we have and, and to your question why should you use um, messaging services messages messaging services um, have the job to move data from A to B. Um, and uh, in that function, they uh, decouple services. Mm -hmm. So you have, um, and, and they decouple them in, in a number of ways. Um, first, um, they decouple them in terms of load. So imagine you have um, cars or websites or you know, anything that spews out telemetry, mobile applications, um, anything that, that kind of collects information about things that are going on and want to offload that information now to a place where some an some analytics can go and pick them up. You need to have some buffer mm -hmm. and that buffer needs to go and take that data and then and then and then be able to go and and, and go into this ordered time stream of data and and analyze those in mostly real time. But the analytics obviously take a little bit of time and to have a buffer between the, the ingest of the events and the, the, the pull out of the events for processing, you need to have a thing that sits in the middle. And um, uh, event hubs um, or Kafka are infrastructures that do this kind of buffering of these torrents of, of events. Mm -hmm. And we offer uh, event hubs, which speaks um, the MQP protocol. Uh, that's the event hubs, uh, a native event hubs protocol, speaks HTTP, but also speaks the Kafka protocol. Um, and uh, so Apache Kafka in the full name that it should use. And uh, so Apache Kafka is a product, um, is a project in the Apache Foundation. Um, and we are implementing the protocol that that, that uh, project has 
defined. Um, we're not using any of the bits of Apache Kafka, but we're wire compatible with it. Okay, so so they haven't standardized on anything. And you're just using their implementation. Yeah, because it's 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 a pro it's a project that has no, not been, implementation. Yeah, yeah it, <laughs> the it specification. Has, it has been it has been very or it is super successful. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have decided um, that and, and, and EventUps is also very successful. Um, and customers have come to us with a um, liking our features, but having hard, hard dependencies on the Kafka protocol. Okay. Um, because you know, surrounding infrastructure uh, has been using it. Pieces of software that they've been using for analytics have been having um, hard dependencies on the Kafka protocol. So we said, all right, so we're going to go and support the Kafka protocol so you can use the Kafka existing Kafka APIs um, and then still use features that are unique to event hubs, such as Capture, uh, which goes and takes your log and then offloads that into uh, manageable chunks um, into um, the, the Blob Store, for instance. Um, and then obviously we also build features like you know geo disaster recovery. We have um, we're, we're splitting things over availability zones, all all management, all super high scale um, um, capabilities that we provide. Um, basically, with you know you just wishing for them, and we realize the clusters that are harder to achieve if you simply take Kafka and wire up those clusters yourself. So we have a a managed infrastructure that gives you the Kafka protocols, um, but doesn't you know, take uh, doesn't bring any of the management burden um, uh, with it. Uh, well, well, all these protocols are, are like open standards, or even even produced by by Apache. This this is uh, this is not like the Microsoft ten years ago, right? No, I, we in um, in the messaging arena, we've been trying to do everything based on open and, and documented protocol as good as we could. We started out out of practical reasons um, in the very beginnings with um, a, uh, a mixture of um, HTTP and a binary protocol that was based on the binary protocol of the Windows Communication Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, that was in the very early beginnings, 2000. Um, seven was when we started incubating these services or the, the relay service as the first one. Um, and then in parallel, in a different team, the broker um, was also started about that time. Okay. And so both of those had Windows Communication Foundation interfaces, um, the open version, if you will, in HTTP, and then the, you know, the super performant version with the TCP protocol, which was documented, but um, not something that was really realistically implementable by someone else. Okay. Um, and then already in 2009, um, we so before we even went went public or went commercial with those services, we had already engaged on MQP, um, and then helped kind of driving that to um, the standardization point in 2012, and and then already adopted that as the um, as the open protocol, and that was kind of the start of the the open protocols, you know, the true start of the open protocols journey for our services to say. We're going to embrace an open protocol as our primary protocol, and everything we're going to do from here on forward should be open protocol. So we have a well-published HTTP protocol. We have for the relay, we have a web a web sockets-based, well-documented protocol, and for AMQP, we're working very closely with the partners in the Oasis Technical Committee to make everything we do, the entire surface area of Service Bus, even the most sophisticated features, all based on things that we 
have jointly defined in Oasis with as little custom extensions as possible. Okay, well, that's fascinating. Um, and so you mentioned there are, are these uh, different offerings, and mm -hmm. and when I'm I'm I haven't done a really big uh, project on Azure, and if I'm starting starting off, and I want to decide which is the right solution for me, like Service Bus, Event Hub, Event Grid, I I don't know which one to pick. What what are the differences here, or why do you have to have so many different offerings? Yes, so. Um, I, I give you the first example was with with uh, event hubs on uh, for eventing. Why you would have a messaging service overall is because you need to have some buffering, some decoupling. Mm -hmm. the The reason why we have, but we have multiple services, and the question is why do you have so many? Um, because there are differences in terms of the messages, the things that you're sending around. Um, the first the first core difference is that. Um, there are different messages, even though they all look the same, have different purposes. Mm -hmm. And we make a first, a coarse distinction between messages and events. So you hear me talking about messaging and eventing as two terms, because we think of them as different, because they have different consequences and different architectural models for how you deal with them, even though they're all just you know, little envelopes with data inside of them. The envelopes have mostly just, you know, annotations of what you want to do with them. But they're architecturally different enough that they warrant different infrastructures. Mm -hmm. So let me tease those apart. If you have, if you think about, if you think about, you know, what kinds of messages you send, you have, inform, you have telemetry you report out, you are um, telling people about things that just happened in your system, you have a job that you want to give someone, you have a call that you make, a method call that you make. You have um, a, a control transfer, and you maybe have a value transfer. These are all different kinds of messages, right? Now we're kind of thinking about a, a semantic, like what are you doing with them? What is that message about? And they, those those kinds of, and, and I can enumerate probably if I you know, think about think about it for a little while, with like twenty five of these kinds of of purposes of messages, mm -hmm. but they fall into two categories. They fall into reporting out things that just happened or that happens and having messages that have an intent of someone doing something. So one is I, I'm just telling you a fact. And the other one is I want you to do something. Those are two completely different things, right? One is, one is, um, if you, a fact is something that you can write down, tell something, someone, and it will never change. There's no expectation that you that you have. You can go and broadcast that through the world, and the world can go and do something with it. Mm -hmm. And you can go and put that into a log. You can go and keep it forever. Um, there's no there's there's no action expectation. You can go and take action on it. You can have a you know, you can draw consequences. You can make your own. You can draw your own conclusions from looking at that fact and then act on it. But nobody's expecting you to do something. That is very different from um, I am executing a workflow. I just have I have gotten an order in an e-commerce store, and now I expect that something gets shipped to that particular customer. That's a okay. That's a different story, right? Do you differentiate between uh, facts that um, that have to be remembered or facts that 
um, doesn't matter if, if the, the receiver gets them or, or it, it's okay. Or, or the, if, he, if he doesn't get them within a minute, then just forget about it. So the, the great thing about the fact is it never changes, which means you can go and deliver that fact a hundred times and it won't change. Mm-hmm. It won't have any, have any, so, so that's the great thing about, that's the great thing about those, the, the difference between those two. And if you send an order twice, Sorry, if you send, so you got an order and now you want to go and, and, and deliver that order. Sorry, you, you want to, you, you, ch- you, you charge the customer and then okay. you deliver, you take the order into the inventory and then you go and take whatever good they ordered, take that out of a shelf and then you put that into a package and you send that. You want to make sure that that happens once and then there's just one party that executes that because otherwise you pay once, but you get your your goods five times, and that's something that is great maybe for you if if you receive it, but it's certainly not good for the retailer. Right. Right. So that's something. The fact that you have sold an item is something that the statistics uh, that is great for the statistics, and anybody can know this. Like anybody who's you know authorized to to understand that information. And if you can't deliver that now, you can go and you can deliver that later, and it has a little consequence. Mm-hmm. But that job, delivering that job, is um, that's a different story because there you have a different way of treating these things. This is a little abstract, so let's go and, and go drive that down a further bit uh, down into infrastructure reality. Okay, what that means, what what that means in terms of of, of architecture. So when I have a an a job that I want someone to do, I will typically put that into a queue. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I want the want to do this is because I want only one party to be able to execute, or I want one party to go and execute on this, to act on that job. So a queue is an infrastructure that has, it's a log that stores messages, and it has a cursor that scrolls over that log um, of messages and hands them out one by one. And having that cursor maintained server side means that it's up to the server to you know, figure out which is the next message to deliver, and also to maintain state about the delivery of each message. So that if you have three, four, five, 10, 100 competing consumers on that queue, every one of those consumers will only get exclusive copies of those messages. Mm-hmm. which means all the orders go into one queue. You have 50 parties eager to go and execute those orders. Each order will go to exactly one party, and that party will then have, for some time, an opportunity to go and execute execute that job. And if they can't or if they fail, that message reappears in that queue and then gets reassigned. But there's effectively the tiebreaker to the, 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 the party that decides who gets which of these messages is the queue. So you have a central, you have effectively an authority for this. And the consumer has to notify the queue that he has processed something. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's how the delivery stage changes. So you get, you get a message assigned and then once you have the message received, you, you already, you see it, you can go and act on it. But then the, the final act is to settle the message, which removes it from the queue. The queue holds on to the, the, the message until it's completely settled. And if you fail to settle it, it will eventually 
through timeout show up again in the queue as deliverable and then it's going to be re-delivered either to the same party or more likely to a different party if that party has just crashed but that's that's a core mechanism that's a core mechanism in the queue that you have this competing consumer model which gives exclusive rights on a particular message to a receiver but you can have multiple receivers now what's also great about this having a queue there for these kinds of scenarios is that you can go and observe the length of the queue mm -hmm. and if you don't have enough capacity so you start with one consumer and you push you pull data off the queue and that one consumer now goes and and does processing on the job and if that's too slow which means if the rate of the incoming request is higher than the the rate of the processing now you can go and add another consumer and you can go and control this by by observing the length of the queue and if the length of the queue goes like is longer than whatever 50 jobs then you can go and add another consumer and that consumer will now go and also pull data of that queue and with that you can effectively double your throughput okay but in your example of the um like shipping out an order mm -hmm. uh, if the consumer takes something out of the queue he processes the order he sends out the packet and the moment he wants to notify the queue that it's been processed he crashes uh what happens then <laughs> you shouldn't you shouldn't do you shouldn't do as big as big work items as you just described in one go okay so so typically typically what you will do is you will have a um you will have effectively on on a, on a on a scenario like this you will have multiple multiple checkpoints which means you will hand off the the job into the um into the the warehouse and then you will have checkpoints in the journey through the warehouse where you can go and and make sure that Effectively, the, the the check the the checkout of the message, and then processing of the message, and then the um, the settlement of the message is not giving you too much of a of a risk span. Um, for instance, that you prepare your order, and then you have that sitting there, and now you ship your order, and that is these are separate steps compared to, and those those have slow less risk. Than if you do it all in uh, one big um, in one big step. Okay, but would, would you would you then uh, use separate queues for that? Like take it out yeah. of this queue, process, Absolutely. and then put because, it in the next queue. Okay. Yeah, because because you will that the 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 queues mirror effectively real life transactions, right? If we go and and if we look if we look at the um, this is why I'm struggling a little bit with that example because it's really complicated. You said simplifying, right? We have, you know, we have an order, and now we ship it. And um, what happens if I can't put the message back into the queue? Sorry, if I can't check, it, if I can't complete the message once I've shipped it. The reality of that is there's a giant series of things that are happening until that shipping happens. Mm -hmm. And what I was trying to do, trying to say is, all of these individual actions that happen typically happen. Uh, carried by some queuing uh, queuing of information and and assignment of jobs to individual parties which which perform this of course there is work that happens in the real world that is that is not necessarily um, you can't necessarily take that back when you can't uh, um, um, settle the message okay so those things do happen mm -hmm. and then 
you know, you need to compensate for those things as you would do in the right in in the real world. N none of the trans this that's this gets us onto a bit of a tangent, mm -hmm. but nothing that happens in transactional systems these days, especially of the scale that we're that we're at, is transactional in the sense of you know good old two phase commit transactions, um, and you know it, it, they're they're not self contained. Ultimately. You have um, error. You have error handling and compensation mechanisms in the real world, where you you know you do some work, and then you fail doing that work, or you have some inconsistency. And the way how you deal with that is you do a, compensa a compensation uh, activity that rectifies that. And so that's also what you would do in in a case like this, where you have you know you shipped an item. And uh, then you couldn't go and uh, uh, check that out of the queue. Well, you will realize if you get that job assigned again, that the item that you're supposed to ship is no longer there because it has already been shipped. So you go and rectify it that way. Okay. So, uh, but go, coming back to the different types of uh, services. Yes. I'm, I'm still not sure which, which of these services were we talking about just now? So, yeah. So, um, as long as we're in the land of um, these kinds of workflows, queues, workers, that's all service bus. Okay. So service bus, so service bus in, in Azure is the service that deals with queuing, deals with um, uh, also distribution of those kinds of job messages. Every time you need to have a, a distribution of work, a exclusive assignment of work, the distribution of these um, um, kinds of messages into different partitions, um, that's when, and, and routing, that's where um, Service Bus shines because Service Bus is the core messaging engine that we have in, in the platform. Right. And we also have for very simple tasks, um, we have um, Azure Storage Queues. If you simply have a bunch of tasks and they need to be dispatched to workers, storage queues is a fine mechanism um, to do that. But for most cases where you need to have robust transactional processing um, and, and need to deal with, with jobs of the kind that we just discussed, um, then Service Bus is the tool. Okay. Now, so that's all, that's all messages effectively that are, that are sent with intent. You want someone to do something you want you want action based on on the job that you got everything that's request response anything that is um so request in the sense of i'm i'm going into uh, another system the other system then needs to go in and uh, give you an answer uh, the answer comes back on the reply queue um that is all intent that's all service bus business if you need to have these kinds of job assignments that's all service bus business mm -hmm. now the other services are for eventing and here the distinct distinction is uh, between event hubs that we already discussed and event grid grid is the platform service for event distribution inside of azure that is supported by more and more services effectively just a phased onboarding where Services can go in and raise discrete events about things that just happened in the um, in the respective service. So one of the most popular events that we have is in the Blob Store, and that is Blob created, and it's a very simple one that you can go and reason about. Mm -hmm. So, but before I discuss that, let's 
that's discussed discrete events versus series events. What I talked about in the beginning when I talked about this this telemetry scenario is that you have a torrent of events and they go into this buffer and now you have some analytics and the analytics need to go and pull them out. Typically, these analytics are stateful, right? Okay. You want to understand the behavior of a particular publisher over time. Let's say um, you want to know the average temperature um, or the median temperature in a room. Mm-hmm. Then you have five different temperature sensors. Those five temperature sensors send telemetry information about the current reading of the, the value. And now you pull them onto a stateful an, uh, an analysis bucket. And that computes from these five uh, different input streams the average temperature in that room over 10 minutes. Okay. Right? So that requires that you pull towards that bucket. Mm-hmm which means you, you push the events in and then you pull them out and you pull them into a processor which then observes you know, thousands of, of these um, uh, rooms in parallel, obviously, uh, and computes the average temperature for, for all of them, but it needs to go and pull to that state. Discrete events are different. Discrete events happen once, um, and they're independent of the other ones. They're different from the reading of the individual point observation of a temperature. They are like the temperature sensor has low battery and it's about to shut off. That's an alarm. Mm-hmm. That's very different. Or what I just said was the blob created event. A You just created a new blob in the blob store and that now raises an event. Okay. That is so. That's that's obviously different because it's there's nothing that precedes it, and there's nothing that comes after it. There's no sequence here that matters. But there's one blob in that blob which is created is discrete. This discrete thing, you can do all kinds of really interesting, powerful things if you have the platform raise these kinds of discrete events. Discrete events. For instance, you can go and build just based on the blob store a picture library. So here's how you can do this. You make a, a, a blob store, um, a blob account. Inside of that, you make a blob container. And on the blob container, you create an event subscription. These event subscriptions is how you use EventGrid. So the publishers automatically, the blob store, it supports these events na- natively. And now you can go and create a subscription. And to that subscription, you hook up a function. Okay. On, on that function, you set a filter. And that filter is for... Um, the suffix .jpeg on the on the subject of the event. Mm-hmm. Now, someone uploads a JPEG into that um, blob store. Your function now gets triggered. What that function can now do is it can go and take the JPEG. It can go and um, with one handler, it can go and run that through cognitive services and create tags for the content of that. Um, Image, right? Do image recognition on it. Uh, one question: What is? It's a bit of a queue, right? You're using blob storage. You put something in, and then you notify somebody to take it out. It, it's uh, like a. It's probably not perfectly sequential, but is, is it like a queue? Would you say? No, it's not. It, it, well, so there is a queue in there, but what you do here is, you simply all you do as a gesture from the outside is you upload the file. That's all you do. Like you interact, your interaction, the the outside interaction is just uploading a file and, and you're offering off, you're offering a JPEG file. You do nothing else. Mm -hmm. That's your, that's your API trigger. 
And now the app, now you have an application which chooses to react on that event. It's not being told to do anything. There's no expect, expectation you have when you up, when you uploaded that file, but the blob store will simply offer up the fact that some that a JPEG just appeared. Mm -hmm. Now we're choosing to react on this in two ways. One is we will go and start an image recognition task on this, and we will uh, in that image recognition task run that image through um, um, recognition tasks that goes and creates tags for that image and writes them into a database along with a pointer to that image. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to run that through a thumbnailer and the thumbnailer will go and create five differently sized images from that input JPEG and store them in the, into the thumbnail store. Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, we now have um, a, and also record that in the index. All of a sudden, without the application, the, the client doing anything but just uploading a JPEG, we now have a database with thumbnails, with tagging, um, that also then points to the raw input image, which we can then go and take a look at. So we turned this, this naked blob store into a picture database, basically just with two functions that hook to that event. Nobody had to go and build a gateway or a an API around the upload. Okay, it's simply something that we just did by completely by extension, mm -hmm. and and that's the that's the kind of so this is kind of an, an event that's the event driven applications that you can go and build with these with Grid. Is that is that infrastructure or the services that you build yourself raise events and they offer them up for consumption, but there's no no um, no expectation in you know, when you publish those events, what's going to happen with those events? You offer them up for as extensibility point. Okay, so the alternative would, would be that somebody um, explicitly pushes that image to a queue or to like Event Hub or, or Service Bus, and then the processing starts from there on. And, and but but Event Grid is like watching over and and just acting on the data. The, the difference is that you don't, the, 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 the philosophical difference here is mm -hmm. you did not upload the picture with the knowledge or expectation or intent that there will be thumbnailing and that there will be image recognition. Okay, yeah. these, are ex, these are extensions that happened because someone chose to go to react to that event. Now you can do you can do far you can do many more reactive activities based on this. Mm -hmm. You can go and say, you know, I'm also going to convert that into a PNG. And without affecting any of the other acti activities, right? The 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 thumbnail will continue and the the um, um, the image recognition will continue. That additional conversion to a PNG is something that you also hook up to that same event. But there's no expectation that the the, the uploader sets. Um, there is no interference with any of the other things um, that are happening to this, and there's no workload you need to go and upload. Simply that you just add by by extensibility. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Right. So so now we have th so we have now three cases. We have I'm assigning a job to you um, or to some other party. I'm passing a job, and I want to have it act, have it executed robustly, right? It may crash three times. It may be there may be a slow resource. There may be constrained resource behind it. That's what all messaging is for. We have torrents of events, 
that are flowing in that we want to go and, and run through buffer up and then be able to go and pull towards some analytic system. That's the event hubs Kafka scenario. Okay. And then we have the effect, the events that are being bubbled up in the platform in your applications that you offer up for, for our consumption so that someone can go and build an extension um, an event driven extension from around the core of your application. And that's what grid is for. All right. And, and um, I'm assuming the costs for these offerings are um, different or which, where do I, where do I start? What's like the, the entry level offering? The entry level offering. So we have, so grid is something that is in the platform mm -hmm. um, and um, that's being charged on the number of events that you consume. And that charge is very low, but I don't have that in my head right now, but it's like grid is, is, is very cheap. Um, we charge per um, um, hundreds of thousands of events or something. That's a relatively cheap charge. Right. Um, and it's, so that's something that is effectively the, the way you, how you start with it, you start at the, typically at the services. So you, in your blob account, you will find a tab that's called events. And in that tab, that's where grid lives. And so there's, there's several other services which have this simply this, event blade in the portal. And when you interact with that, when you go and subscribe, when you hook up a function to those, to those um, uh, triggers, then you have used grid. So grid is something that appears as something that is a feature of other services really, and it's not necessarily its own thing. Um, but obviously when we talk about you know, the, 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 the engine behind this, then that's when we talk about grid. And then you also can, of course, if you want to raise your own events, you can use that exact same infrastructure to, um, to, um, raise events. And that's then custom topics. So custom topics is where grid really appears for you as an end-to-end -end infrastructure. And, and what grid can do in addition to, to trigger a function is to, um, also route now newly into service bus queues, um, and also into event hub so you can go and combine those those um, services um, through that routing route so that's the start that's the start point for event grid that's something that you start typically exploring when you have other services like um, storage um, that raise events that's that's people's typical first um, um, contact with the grid service for service bus we have two and for event hubs we have a basic entry we have some entry tiers you can start with for service bus we have um a standard what we call service bus standard service bus standard is a is a service that we charge uh, about ten dollars uh, a month per subs per azure subscription as a base fee okay so you effectively buy the the uh, the permission to use service bus standard um, and then with that come comes an allocation of 10, 12 or 13 million transactions, uh, messaging transactions that you can then perform. And that's, and, but you, we don't make any limits in terms of how many namespaces you can create and, and um, tear down again, but there's a limit of like 50 uh, you can have at any one time. So we think of that as service bus standard as, a, as our dev and test offering. So you can you basically pay, pay that one the base fee, and you can go and make and destroy 50 namespaces, and then you can go and use all the features of Service Bus. Um, but we're imposing throttling on um, um, on Service Bus standard. You can go pretty high in terms of perf um, these days um, by 
by accident and by lack of enforcement of throttles, but we're going to um, put some more throttles in place there. Um, standard is service bus standard is something that's functionally that's functional, cheap, um, but is something that we for for critical workloads um, that we rather want customers to use this premium offering um, because premium because standard is using shared re- resources, um, which means if you have a in the same cluster. Uh, several neighbors who are incredibly busy, your performance might be affected. Um, And that's something that uh, we avoid in premium because premium, even though it looks entirely the same from the outside, um, is an entirely differently architected service um, and with a wholly different storage engine, et cetera. So premium is um, the higher end offering. And with that, you get... um, dedicated resources in our clusters. You can buy them at one through four messaging units. And so we already may have the eight messaging units uh, offer out. Um, And what that gives you is a ring fence set of resources for CPU with CPU and memory that are reserved at all times while your namespace is active. And uh, the ring fencing has the effect that the performance is completely predictable and completely the same. So if you reserve one MU and you run a test, a throughput test today um, in the same data center, so you know, removing all the, the network um, um, influences of jitter and uh, route con- congestion, et cetera. But if you're testing from the same data center um, today, uh, at any time of the day, you should get the same performance out of the system. Um, okay. So that's giving you that's giving you predi- predictability and it's giving you um, also a higher reliability. We are now at the reliability. The latest up- update that we did, um, the reliability is now in excess of seven or eight nines, um, which means we're now failing less than um, than one out of a, a ten million or so transactions oh, by average. Okay. <laughs> um, which is which is our which are, is is really the only metric that counts because the um, the clusters that we have um, have uptime of have historical uptime of one hundred percent over you know not only one year but multiple years um, and um, there have been outages obviously but they are typically on the path to us. But not of the clusters themselves. Um, the f- for us, a cluster collapsing is an v- enormously rare event, because the rest, the clusters run um, now across availability zones, even. Okay. Um, and our typical size of the clusters is between sixty four and one hundred twenty eight machines. They're hanging together and have been put together by Service Fabric, um, with ample capacity to go and replenish um, if individual machines or a whole. Um, compute cluster under underneath us fails, and we can literally with availability zones now we can lose a data center. We we're doing uh, we're doing um, simulations of this, where we can lose an entire facility, and uh, the namespace uh, the, the 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 broker cluster will stay up, and with that all of your resources will also stay up. Um, so so we the 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 metric we chase is um, reliability. And uh, there were um, far beyond now the, the magical five nines that people are typically, t- typically talking about. So how, how big can you go with this technology? How, are there any limitations? Uh, I'm assuming this all scales very well. 
Um, yes, yes, it does. The um, um, to go back briefly on the 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 allocations that we do because that's kind of important to understand how far things can scale. The messaging units that I talked about were are effectively allocations that we make for you on the um, operating system level, which means you get ring fenced resources. Um, and those ring fence resources are uh, limiting effectively how far you can go with an individual namespace. Mm -hmm. So those those resources mean that you get, um, if you get one messaging unit, you get uh, you know a process that's pinned for you, um, and then you get uh, RAM that's associated with it. If you go to four MU, so that's that's your compute power that you have in our cluster, um, and those that. Compute power that you have in your cluster that basically gates how much how much scalability you get out of this. We have overall these clusters 64, 128 uh, VMs, um, and you get a you get a slice out of this. Four messaging units can get you uh, between fifteen thousand and twenty thousand messages a second on service bus. That's okay. that's about just about what you can get. Mm -hmm. um, we also limit the number of concurrent connections um, that you can use, and I think that's a limit around two thousand concurrent connections on on a service bus namespace. And then, um, if you need more, then you basically need to go and start thinking about how you um, shard those things out um, in the current model. Um, for event hubs, we have an offering that is dedicated. So you buy event hubs with what we call throughput units, and you go uh, one throughput unit is one megabyte in and two megabytes out. And you can also translate it into messages to a thousand in and two thousand out. Um, that's where we set the quotas, and that's how we basically gate the quotas. And you can go on up to twenty um, uh, transfer um, throughput units by yourself, and then you can go and ask us to go and give you um, some more. Um, and then at that at that point, there's a logical point where we're talking with you about a dedicated offer, and because then it gets fairly expensive very quickly. Um, and then dedicated offers is typically where the customers who need a lot of throughput go. And we have some customers who do more than a gigabyte per second ingest. Um, into event hubs, and we have heard from customers who are thinking about even more than that, um, two gigabytes and more um, in a single region uh, in terms of ingest. So we can realize um, enormous amounts of data flows with um, event hubs and with um, with uh, service bus. Um, you don't see those huge numbers because the character of those messages is a little different. In terms of overall um, capacity that we have make available. We currently have uh, 2.2 trillion transactions on event hubs uh, per day. Oh, wow. Um, yes. And we have, um, I don't have that exact number, but I think like over 50 billion per day on service bus. So that's a order of magnitude difference. Um, but it also reflects that there are that the, the kinds of messages that are being sent are different. Um, for event grid, um, I don't have throughput statistics, but um, the system is uh, designed to handle um, over 10 million events per second um, in a region and basically sca scales limit linearly, which means uh, if we need more capacity, we can very easily add that. And that's pretty impressive. 
Well, is there anything uh, you you want to tell our listeners uh, how to get started or, or what should they do if they're interested in, in these types of messaging services? Uh, we have documentation on the Azure uh, site. Um, so you can go get started with uh, Service Bus and with EventGrid and with Event Hubs using the walkthroughs walk we have on the website. Okay. Um, it's, that's interesting to go and play with. And then um, in general, um, we have um, some, the tutorials tell you um, about how to use those services, but in general, it's uh, useful to, um, you know, also take a step back and, and think about, um, how you can use these asynchronous services to um, um, you know improve your architecture overall, and there's plenty of books um, to to read. Um, I would look at the service-oriented architecture or microservices category, and um, there about you know queuing services in general. And if you have you know an account with uh, uh, one of those wonderful education providers. Um, they will also you will also find have find plenty of courses that deal with um, you know queuing in general, um, queuing and messaging eventing in general, and so it's it's something that is we give you a tool that realizes a number of patterns, but you also need to understand those patterns in in the beginning. So um, that's also something I will go and look at in addition to you know the concrete tool that we offer. Okay, well I'll I'll put up some links to the the resources you mentioned. So thank you. Thank you for being my guest today. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. This was another episode of Dev Talk, and we'll hear each other again in 14 days. Bye-bye.